0: Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. As I was praying for today, I felt like the Lord laid on my heart before you do anything concerning your message. I want you ask the church to pray. Or even, I stopped what I was doing I wrote it down. Ask church to pray before you preach. And this is what I want us to pray. I want us to pray God open me up. Do surgery on me. Have your way in me. Like I, I pray that all the time. I do. Over you guys. Every Sunday I pray something similar. But but I want us to ask. I can pray for you when I do, and I will, but I'm gonna pray that myself today, for me. And the, the thing is, where two or three agree, touching anyone one thing, it shall be done. So as we say, God, open me up, open my ears, tear down all the walls, anything that would hinder me from receiving what you want to do in me. As we pray that, I believe that that there's going to be a melting in our hearts. I believe that that there's going to be a change. There's going to be a posture. What what does that do? That postures us to receive. I mean, worship through song is a great way to posture us to receive. but, But let's now, in our own words, not being led on a screen, but in our own words, let's posture ourselves. God, have your way. Let's pray. church this is what i want us to do let's just let's just say holy spirit holy spirit you're welcome here you're welcome in me we're the temple of the holy spirit let's let's just let's make sure that he feels at home in us you For what you're going to do today, I thank you for what you've already done. I thank you for the walls that you've began to tear down. I thank you for the people that have walked in here that were far from you that are going to walk out of here near to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Those that have walked in here that already have a relationship with you are going to walk out closer to you. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will get me out of the way, that you will speak through me clearly. I need you, Holy Spirit, that your church doesn't need another message from another guy, from another preacher. We need to encounter the living God. You are the one that changes us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that you change hearts, that you change us. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe be seated. It's a good day. It's a good day. Anytime the church gathers, it's a good day. Man, the church is gathering all around, all around the world today to worship Jesus Christ, and that's an amazing thing. That is so awesome. I, uh, I had a conversation this week about... Um, why we worship on Sunday, and uh, the person I was talking to was uh, they were adamant that we should be worshiping on Saturday. When I, I don't, I don't argue with people. I, I just I want I hear just just conversation, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, and I just kind of left it at that. It was very friendly and cordial and everything, but you know, if you ever wonder why did why do we worship on on Sunday, it's because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. This is the Lord's day. This is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath, this is a different day, that was yesterday, this is the Lord's Day. We worship because Jesus is alive and well, and he is here to encounter us today, and he is going to encounter us today. We are in the. We are in week three of a series called Jesus is Greater, and we're studying the book of Hebrews, and we're just going verse by verse, and I, I, I got to be honest, I'm, I want to prepare you Um, the month of October, we're going to take a break from this and we're going to do another series in the month of October and then we're going to come back to it. Okay. So just to kind of break it up, just heads up. Um, next week, we're going to be finishing out chapter two. So you guys can know exactly what you guys can be studying it. I I think that's so good. But today we're looking at Hebrews chapter two, one through four. And before we get started, I'm going to tell you a joke. I heard this one this morning, it's, complete, like, it's, it's a completely different uh, joke than I intended to tell you, but I want to tell you a joke anyways. Um, so this is fictitious, keep in mind, but for the joke, I'm going to make it sound real, okay? Amy's been asking me <laughs> to take her to one of those really nice restaurants where, the, you know, where they cook in front of you and they prepare your meal, so I was like, all right, let's do this. So I took her to Subway. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, if that was real, I'd think she would be preaching today, and I would be buried, so. The joke I was going to tell you that I didn't think was really appropriate is this. Um, I'm going to tell it to you anyways. <laughs> and some of you guys will get it, some of you guys won't get it, so it's all right. But Dolly Parton went to the doctor the other day because she found a spot on her forehead, and the doctor couldn't figure out what it was, so they got a skin specialist in there, and they started examining it, and the skin specialist said, well, well, Miss Parton, uh, because, of all the, because of all the work you've had done on your body, and all the, the skin lifts and everything, that's actually your belly button. <laughs> oh, I, t- I told that to someone on Friday night, and they said, you told that to your church? I'm like, I haven't yet. <laughs> I will now. <laughs> then the other one I said to him, because he had a Willie Nelson shirt on, I thought it was funny. I don't think he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, I said, did you know Willie Nelson died? And he said, what? I said, yeah. He was hit playing on the road again. <laughs> oh, come on. That, that's horrible. Stop it, Ryan. I actually don't know if he is. He's probably he's probably alive and well. He's gonna live forever. Um, Saw the eco diesel he makes. Um, so sorry. All right, all right, all right. We just prayed. We're not gonna pray again. We're gonna get into this. Hebrews chapter two, one through four. Let's throw it up there. The author of Hebrews he's wrapping up this idea of. The superiority of Christ. The whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is greater. He is the greater Savior. He's the greater Moses. He's greater than angels. He's he's greater. He's superior to everything. He's he's the greatest salvation. Anything and everything that we can do, Jesus is greater. And, And he's establishing the superiority of Christ. And he's writing to a Hebrew audience that is so used to following the law of God to try to gain righteousness with God. And the problem with the law is the law is, is, is it's not it's not a problem, but, but the thing is with the law is it tells you what God wants you to do, and it tells you what God does not want you to do, but it offers no power to do it. So it'll say, don't covet, but then it doesn't tell you how not to covet. And your self-control can only get you so far. And the author is speaking to an audience that is so used to trying to follow the law of God to gain right standing with God that he's trying to remind them that no, it's all on Jesus. Jesus is superior to the law because he completely fulfilled it on our behalf. So we pick up in verse 1. And everything else out of following the next three verses reinforce what this verse says. So we must listen. So I want us to read this very carefully. Let's read it together. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard. Yes. We need to remember that. We must listen you know the difference between hearing and listening? Does anyone? You can hear something and not know what it was. But for instance, my son will be like, Dad, listen to me. And he'll tell me a secret and I'm, I'm hearing him. I go, like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, but he'll grab my face and make me look at him. And because he knows that if I'm looking at him, It's a very intentional, like, okay, now I have his attention, and he's listening to me. He's not just hearing me, he's listening. And the author here is telling us, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. This is an intentional decision. Listening is intentional. Hearing is not intentional. Listening is intentional, hearing's not intentional. So let's go on. For the message that God delivered through the angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law, this is the law that God gave, and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape If we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. This is talking about the gospel of truth. The good news. And God confirmed the the message. This is the gospel. God confirmed the truth. God confirmed the message of the gospel. God confirmed the the, the gospel of truth by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So the last verse of Mark actually says that the apostles went out and preached the gospel of truth everywhere and the Lord confirmed what they were saying with signs and wonders. And then here it says God confirms a message. And so... Like I said, everything reinforces this idea that we must listen very carefully to the truth. So um, I'm going to give you two thoughts today, and we're going to get into this. The first thought is real original, and I hope that it sticks out to you. We must listen very carefully to the truth. That is the title of my message, The Truth Is. The Truth Is. But my first thought is we must listen very carefully to the truth. This is an intentional thing. Why is this so important, church? That we listen very carefully to the truth, for it, because <laughs> I, I want us to understand two two very important things, real quick. God is love. God is love. Like He is the embodiment of love. Their love would not exist apart from God. He doesn't. He doesn't love. He is love. Like He does love, but because He is love, so. With that said, God is also truth. Jesus says, one of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. That's a truth pill to swallow. If you're trying to get to God on your own, you can't. It's literally impossible. And so, God is love but he is also truth. And there's some, there's some interesting things about truth. Did you know truth doesn't care if your feelings get hurt? Did you know that? Did you know truth doesn't care if you're emotional or not? Truth is truth. And that's why it's, it's, it's a beautiful balance that we have to find. The Bible says in Hebrews and in various other places, it says we must speak truth in love. John chapter 1 says of Jesus that he was full of grace and truth, equally. And there are so many examples of Jesus being full of truth and grace. I think it is also interesting that the very term that the author chose to use, that if we don't listen very carefully to the truth, Can you throw verse 1 up real quick again? Oh, that's different. Verse 1 says, We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may. So if we don't listen, we may drift away from it. That's a nautical term. Like if you guys have ever been out on a lake or on the ocean or something, what is something that you have to do to keep from drifting? Does anyone know? you drop your anchor right what does the anchor do it drags along the bottom of the the seabed until it grabs a hold of something and it anchors it and so though wa- waves may come waves may go that that ship is going to stay relatively in the same spot it might it might go in a big circle but it's anchored to the the the, the ground and and the problem is if we don't listen if we're not anchored into the gospel if we're not anchored into Jesus we will drift and and here's the thing you will anchor into something period you can't you either anchor into Jesus or something else that you don't go through life without anchoring yourself to something but the problem is if you anchor into anything other than Jesus you will drift why because what you're anchored to is drifting too. And you see it all the time with organizations that they, that they, they 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 used to or or political parties or whatever you want to say. You'll see it all the time. They used to stand firm on this, like this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And now they're like backpedaling like crazy. Like it's organizations do it, political parties do it because why what are they anchored in they're anchored probably in uh, public opinion they're anchored in whatever the new the new flow is instead of being anchored into jesus and it's been said multiple times already this morning that jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he doesn't change and when you anchor into him though everything around you changes you you're anchored man in, 10 years ago it was really popular to be a christian all these all these politicians were Christians, and now it's not so popular to be a Christian, and then and, and, and they're kind of distancing them, themselves again away from Jesus and, and because they're not anchored in Jesus. And 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 it's very, very easy to drift when you're not anchored. When you're not anchored into the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews here is so adamant that. That we need to guard ourselves. We must. We must. This is a must of the church. Listen very carefully. And so the word there for anchor in the in in the Hebrew that it was written in to the original audience it means to flow by. To care uh, not anchor. To uh, the word there for drift. This is what it means. It's. I'm not going to even say it because I'll butcher it. Um, It's a language I can't speak. But this is a definition that they would have understood. It means to, to to flow by, carelessly pass, or let slip. That that is what the author is saying. If you don't listen, if you're not anchored into the truth, you will flow by the truth. You will pass carelessly, pass by, um, or you'll let it slip. And it's kind of interesting because it's a it's a very gradual thing. You don't even notice it. And what what happens is one day you wake up and you're not in love with Jesus anymore. You wake up like. Why am I going to church? Because you're not anchored in him. Jesus Jesus was anchored into the word of God. He said, "I only do what the Father tells me to do and I only say what the Father tells me to say." He was intentional. He was anchored Anything that is not anchored in Jesus will drift. It will. It will capsize. It will overturn. And it will. It'll, the, the, the Bible actually says. Um, it says that a double-minded person. And this is the thing. When we're not anchored in Jesus. We're double-minded. And, and we're tossed and turned by every wind of doctrine. Oh, this is right. This is right. Or, or And, and we quit upholding the word of God as our standard. And so, there's so many examples of Jesus being full of truth and grace. And I want to give you a few. The woman caught in the act of adultery. They brought a woman to Jesus. She was caught in the act of adultery. And they, and they said the truth to Jesus. The, the law of Moses says that we must stone her. But they only gave half a truth. Because it also says that you have to stone the guy, too. <laughs> But they only brought the woman to Jesus. And we don't know what Jesus did. We, we, we know that what he did. We don't know what he said. But he knelt down twice and wrote in the dirt, right? He wrote, and we don't know what he wrote. I can't help but think that he wrote the whole command. I can't help but think like he, he got up and, and he, he wrote the first part that says, the man must be stoned and the woman must be put to death. I, 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 I can't help but think that's what he wrote because they're quoting the Word of God to the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And so he writes the whole thing. I can't help but think that. And he, then he gets up and says, let him without sin cast the first stone. And then he bends back down, and then he probably writes a scripture reference. Deuteronomy, you know. <laughs> you know? And, and, then, and then he gets back up, and all the people are gone. And so he spoke. I, I think he wrote truth. He spoke truth to him too. Let him without sin cast the first stone. He he called them out. He spoke truth to them, and then he turned around, being full of grace, and turned to the woman and said, "Woman, where are your accusers?" She said, "There are none." And he said, "Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more." He he gave her grace and spoke truth to her. Another example is a woman at the well. You know, he asked for water and this conversation happened and, and all of a sudden he has a word of knowledge about this woman's life and, and he says, go get your husband. And she was like, I don't, I'm not married. And he's like, you're right, you're not married. You've been married five times and the man you're with now isn't your husband. And she was like, I can see that you're a prophet. And he's like, no, I'm more than a prophet. I'm the Messiah and I'm here to save you. I, I paraphrase that down. It's in John chapter four. Go read it. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite scripture stories. But he spoke truth to her. And then he gave her grace. And because because he gave her grace, the whole town ended up believing. And, and it's a beautiful, he said, this is what it was said in John chapter 4. It's so amazing. It says, at first, we believed because of the woman's testimony. But because she led them to Jesus, he says, now we believe because we've encountered Jesus. Because he spoke truth and he gave Grace. Another example of Jesus giving truth and grace is when he walked into the temple twice and he overturned tables. One of the times he formed a whip. Like, WWJD has a whole new meaning when you actually look at the whole character of Jesus because we think, oh, it's just love and grace and everything. It is, but it's also truth and justice. If you want to be like Jesus, that means you have to speak truth and love. Jesus walked into the temple, and they're selling and they're robbing people by charging exorbitant amounts. They're not giving them a fair trade on their currency, and so they're literally robbing people. And he's sitting there just twisting a, a whip out, and then he goes and drives them out. What do you you know like like he drives them out like you're driving cattle out of the temple of the living God? And he says this shall be called a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. Truth. Where's the grace in him beating these people out of the temple and overturning tables? It's better that they recognize their sin and remove themselves from the presence of God than to stay there in sin. Because God doesn't deal with sin very kindly in his presence. It was grace for Jesus To highlight what was wrong so they can repent. Because everything Jesus did was in grace and truth. There's a lot of examples, but like that's Jesus, of course. What about us? Well, I'm going to look at Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to give you an example of a follower of Jesus speaking grace and truth. Peter, the apostle. The man who walked on water, the man whose shadow healed people in the streets, the man who saw the risen Lord. He was the first person to walk into the empty tomb. John might have beat him to the tomb, but he was the first person to walk in and see the empty tomb. Peter, Peter, the the the, the, the apostle who's one of three people who saw Jesus in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, the apostle who... Who, upon his death, told his executioners, "Do not nail me to the cross in upright matter, because I'm not worthy of being crucified like my Lord Jesus. Crucify me upside down." Peter the Apostle, that was such a the first person to preach the gospel to Gentiles like you and me, non-Jewish people. And got to see God pour out his spirit on Gentiles. And he had this epiphany. Wow, the gospel's not just for the Jewish nation, but it's for all nations. Peter, the apostle, who defended himself by preaching, he said, no, the Lord told me to do this. And because of his influence, the gospel went to the Gentiles. Peter, the apostle, drifted. This is years after He's already preached the gospel to the Gentiles. This is this is as he's, his shadow is still healing people on the streets. It says in Galatians chapter 2, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had, had to oppose him to his face. This is the Apostle Paul. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, this is James... This is the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, so they're very Jewish. Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And so there is this whole division. It's, it's found in, I think, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 13, that the Jews are coming along and telling the Gentile believers, like, hey, and actually really to, to serve Jesus properly, you, the, the, the men need to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, we are saved by grace through faith. This is not from ourselves. So like, Paul is opposing this idea because he said, no, that's an external action that we had to take to become right with God. That's that's what Jesus fulfilled. We don't have to do anything to get saved other than believe in Jesus. We don't we we can't be good enough. And so Paul opposed it. And what, what happened was Paul and Barnabas and some believers went to Jerusalem and they said, Well, let's just bring it up with the apostles. The ones that walked with Jesus. And they said, do do Gentile believers need to be circumcised to follow Jesus? This was a big deal because all Jewish people were back then. And they said, no, they don't because the finished work of the cross is enough. So all all they need to do is this. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat food that's been saturated in blood and stay away from sexual immorality. That's like, that was it. Like, all right. And, and now, and that was, that, and then Peter got up to defend the Gentiles in this. Go read it, I, I believe it's Acts, Acts 14, Acts 13, somewhere in that area. Peter gets up and says, no, the Lord himself filled people with the Holy Spirit as I was preaching. He did not require it then, he does not require it now. And, and now we see Peter, people pleasing Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Even back then, there was division in the church. Even though the apostles said no, people back then still didn't want to submit to leadership. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. And if you read anything about Barnabas, that's what he was. He was an encourager. Was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew, by birth have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow Follow Jewish traditions. You and I are Jews by birth, not any sinners. Like the Gentiles. All Jews thought they were better than Gentiles. And that's why Paul is literally being facetious to to Peter. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. This is, you know, there's a statement that says, if, if obeying the law can't make you righteous, that means breaking the law can't make you unrighteous, because we, our righteousness is based on the work of Jesus Christ and his covering. I know that's hard to chew on. You're like, well, I have to do something. Yeah, you fall in love with Jesus. And be out, out of that comes all other things in our life. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? He's He's putting up a really good argument. He's saying... Okay, say we put our faith in Jesus and we abandon the law. Like we we quit washing our hands in a certain way, we we quit doing all these really religious things that the law demanded of the Jews and then we stand before God and 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 we are found guilty. He's saying that would mean Christ led us into sin. And Christ didn't. He he's a fulfillment, he's a culmination, he's the end of the law and he gave us a new covenant that we stand in. And he said, absolutely not, exclamation point. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law, I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Thank you, Jesus. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law, for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then we, then there is no need for Christ to die. Paul lets into Peter, stands up to him, because he, what, what did, what, so really what did Peter do? He drifted. How did he drift? And this is the same way we drift. So how did he drift? We drift when we choose our way above God's way. Peter chose to say, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to associate with the Gentiles, Because they're uncircumcised I'm not going to treat them like my brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what that's what we are we're all one in Christ we're brothers and sisters in Christ and so Peter drifted because he started leaning back into the old system of the law and instead of standing firm on the gospel of truth he was letting the old system convince him that the truth isn't enough and how else did he drift we drift when we believe that Jesus isn't enough. And guys, I want us to hear this very clearly. When we try to do things religiously to get in line with God, to get right with God, to to, um, to try to impress God on our, on our behalf, when we try to impress God and, and try to make ourselves look better to God, I want you to hear this very c- clearly. You are literally spitting on the cross and the empty tomb. You're telling Jesus you're not enough. Anytime we add to our salvation, we're telling Jesus, he's not enough. He is enough. He's more than enough. I want us to hear that. You don't have to add a single thing to the salvation that Jesus purchased. It's all by faith through grace. We believe. But if Peter, the apostle, can drift, we can drift. The truth is, we got to cling to this. We can't look good, be good, or stay good enough to get to God. We are utterly hopeless. Utterly hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. But Jesus, being 100% God, born of the Spirit, and 100% man, born of a woman, stepped into humanity. He was not born like we were in the sense that we are born with a sin nature that we want to sin right out the gate. Like, that's our existence, right out the gate. For all sin to fall short of the glory of God. Jesus, since his father was the Holy Spirit, he was not born with a sin nature. He was like Adam. Adam did not have a sin nature. He was tempted to sin. We all feel the effects of Adam's sin. But Jesus was like Adam in the sense that he did not have that sin nature, even though he could still be tempted, but he had a choice. Where before Christ, we don't have a choice. And I want us to get this. When Adam sinned, know what he did? He gave dominion back to he he not back. He gave dominion to to the devil. What did what did God tell what did God tell Adam? Adam, you have dominion over all the earth. And when he sinned, he gave dominion to the devil over all the earth. And suddenly, Adam is confined to death and the fear of death ruled over the earth and that's why the man jesus christ had to come back as a man like adam and yet stand not sinning and then die in our place to take dominion back god couldn't just take dominion back because he gave it to adam adam gave it away he couldn't just take it back jesus had to step in to take dominion back And now Jesus has dominion over death. That's why when we believe in Jesus, we live forever. He literally gives us a new identity in Christ. We are born again. We get a new person. The Bible says we who are alive in Christ, um, the old is gone, the new has come. We're a new person, and our address changes from hell to heaven. He affects us here on earth, and then he affects us for eternity That's the truth. Jesus, he was sinless for us. Then he died our death on our cross, taking all sin that has ever been committed and ever will be committed upon himself in our place and paid our sin debt to God. Then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead reclaiming dominion over death. That's why it's so silly. When you really think about it in terms of this, it's so silly that we think we could add To the truth of the gospel. We think we can add to our relationship with God. If you continue to read in Galatians and Romans, I would I would encourage you to. But he he goes on to say you can't just go on living the way you want to live. You gotta live for Jesus. And what does that look like? It's not rules anymore. It's not rules anymore. This is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. It's Jesus, I love you more than anything else in my life. And I do not want to grieve you because I love you more than anything else in my life. So I want to honor you. That's what a relationship looks like. Here's a test. Here's a test for if you start to drift, real quick. Your devotions, your devotion time, your time in the word, it goes from I want to read the Bible to I have to read the Bible. If you you start having the posture of I have to with God, you you might might be drifting. Your prayer life goes from, I want to talk to God. I can't wait to talk to God. Oh, I I can't wait to spend time with him. To, I have to pray. I have to. You might start drifting. You might be drifting. Your time with the body of Christ, a.k.a. church, goes from, I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait to be with my my with my body. I can't wait. I can't wait to be with the church to worship God corporately. Oh, I, I want to so bad too. I have to go to church. It's been three weeks, and that preacher is going to be so mad at me. I, I got I to be honest. I, I don't know who's here and not who's not here. Like I pray for you guys, but uh, like I have a seven year old and a four year old, and they consume ninety percent of my brain power. So. um what I'm getting at is that, that's an easy way when, when we go from I want to to I have to you might be drifting because when something becomes a, a have to it's no longer relationship it's a checklist and our relationship with God is pure relationship so how do we keep from drifting so we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard we need to meditate on the truth of the gospel we need to preach to ourselves we need to listen to the gospel we need to be filling ourselves with things that point us to Jesus listen very carefully the second thought and I'm, I'm going I'm to go through this really fast is God confirms truth God confirms truth truth is a powerful thing the Bible says the truth shall set you free. Man, if you're in bondage, you need to stand on truth. You need to keep declaring the truth of God's word. Man, when I was going through it, um, when, I, when I was a high schooler, my, my brother-in-law introduced me to pornography when I was 12. He's no longer my brother-in-law because that's what pornography does to marriage. It destroys it. But he introduced I didn't ask for it, and I almost committed suicide because of it, because I felt so condemned, because like, I can't tell, but you know, I'm sinning and all this stuff, and I was wrestling with it, and what I, what I kept going back to was the truth of God. The, I would stand, I would yell this in my room, I would be like, Jesus, it says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, you have set me free, because I'm in you, and you're in me. And I kept declaring that, and I finally took another, I took a step of faith, and I confessed it. I finally confessed it to someone, and that's when I finally found freedom from it. We confess our sins to God to be free from the power of sin in our life, and we confess our sins one, one to another to be free from the habit of sin in our life. There's power when we obey. James, Jesus' little brother, writes in his book, he says, he says that we confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. We can be healed. Like Sin scars you if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a wound. It's like a kick in the knee. It hurts you because it's contrary to you, but we stand in the truth. And guess what? As I stand in the truth, as I continue to declare that, even though I still struggled with it for years, I saw freedom over time because God confirms truth. How does he confirm it? With miracles, signs, and wonders. Do you need a miracle in your life this week? Do you do you need God to move in your life this year? Are you waiting for God to do something miraculous? Cuz guess what he wants to? God like what we would consider supernatural is God's natural. That's his normal. He only does supernatural things. He like that's that's how he operates is, is supernaturally. Everything he does is amazing and uh, miraculous. If you need God to do a miracle in your life, start preaching the truth to yourself. Because guess what? What does it say right there at the end? The last verse we read out of Hebrews and God confirmed the message. What message? The gospel of truth by the signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Yeah, it's up to him at, at, at the end of the day. But do you need God to move? Preach to yourself. I know that sounds crazy. That's all right. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I am. But I've seen God move in my life when I preach to myself. Guys, we can wait. Day in and day out. And we can say, oh God, I just need you to send someone to me just to give me a word and all that. And I get that. We are a body and we live in community and we need one another to speak life into one another. Yes, I am 100% on that. But there does come a point in our walk with God where we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord when we don't feel like it. Because you know what? When you're alone, when you have no one around you or when you feel alone there and and. You've got to take responsibility to say, you know what? No, I'm going to stand. I'm going to declare truth, the truth of God's word over my life. I preach to myself all the time. and One of the things I tell myself all the time, it's it's Psalms 27, 13 and 14. and, And this is what it says. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. That is, I I stand on that. I tell myself this all the time. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. You can be sure of this. You can be confident in this. That you can see the goodness of God while you're in the land of the living. And, and preach to yourself. Stand on scripture. Declare it out loud. You you need God to move in your life. You need God to do something. It's not that he doesn't want to, but he confirms truth. He does. And, you know, at the end of the day, when when we declare the truth of God over us, what does that do? It changes the way we think. We quit looking at the enemy, and we start looking at how good and how big and how awesome and how faithful God is. God does send conversations to encourage people. He does. But part of our maturity in the Lord is understanding that we do. We have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. When my mom passed away, I did not want to say, God is good. I did not want to say that. I felt like she was taken from me, honestly. I didn't, I didn't think God took her from me, but I just felt like she was so young, She, I think she was 66. Actually, I know she was 66. Um, but I, I felt like, like I had so many more years with her. My kids didn't get a chance to really know Nana all that much because we always lived awake because of ministry. And so... We would FaceTime, but I felt I didn't want to say God is good. And what I made myself do is say God is good. And the reason why I made myself say that is because it's true. Whether I feel it or not, God is good. Then the scripture, the only scripture I read and stood on and listened to for months after my mom passed was the 23rd Psalm. I would say it to myself all the time, all the time. And I, I would go through different versions of it in my head. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I would get through that first line of the, the six verses of Psalm 21. And I, I would get through and I would be like, literally this is a conversation me and God had. I'd be like, well, Lord, I feel like I lack my mom. I feel like I need my mom, and I feel like I want my mom. But your word says, I lack nothing, I have all that I need, and I shall not want. And so I'm not experiencing what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm not, I'm like, what I'm feeling is opposite of what you're telling me. And then ever so gently in those moments, I just remember this passing thought would go through my head. This passing thought would go through my head over and over. Keep going. Don't stop. You keep going. Even though I'm arguing, I didn't feel it. What's the next? Keep going. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams, he renews my strength. I kept declaring that over myself, day in and day out. I would stand on it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He leads me beside still waters. He 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 makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I just kept telling myself that, even though I didn't feel it. Why? Because God confirms truth. And over time, guess what started happening? I started seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. I started feeling the presence of God and joy, like this, this feeling that I never thought I would have again started creeping back into my life and things quit being as tainted and I know there are people today that need to hear this. They need to hear that God is good, whether you feel like it or not that he's faithful whether you feel like it or not, that there are people here that are going through the same thing. But God confirms truth and he can bring a miracle to your situation. He can and he will. There are people that are here today that need a miracle physically in their body. Preach to yourself. God, you're my healer. By your stripes, I am healed. I stand on that. Preach it. You don't have to be a preacher to preach the word. You don't need a mic. Preach to yourself. 90% of my messages happen in a car when I'm by myself. Pick yourself up, Ryan. Keep going. God's called you. God's anointed you. Keep going. Preach to yourself. Why? Because God confirms truth. Why does he confirm truth? Why does God care so much for truth? Because he is truth. And he won't lead you astray. He has a personal stake in it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes through the Father but through me, Jesus said in John. He has a personal stake. It's his credibility on the line when you preach truth. And he confirms it. He confirms it. I believe... That we've heard the truth of God today. And I believe that God is going to confirm it. And so, I want to pray for people. I want to pray for needs. Like, I want to take this scripture literally. It's up to the Holy Spirit whether he wants to do it. But I want to stand on it. I want to stand on it. And God confirms the message by signs and wonders and various miracles. Who needs a miracle? Who needs God to move in their life? There's no shame in it. Just raise your hand. There's a lot of hands. How cool is, how cool to be if we we just step out in faith and we pray and God shows up. I prayed with a couple guys on, on Friday night. One guy, he's like, my neck is in shambles. I drive a dump truck, and he's like, I have a constant pain. It's always like an eight or a nine, like if on a scale from one to ten. I said, well, can I pray for you? And I prayed for him, and he's like, it's still an eight or a nine. I'm like, well, let's pray again. <laughs> Jesus prayed for a blind guy twice, and if Jesus Christ had to pray for someone twice, Ryan Tatham has to pray more than once, sometimes three and four times. And we prayed again. And he's like, oh man, that feels a lot better. And we kept talking. And by the, like 40 minutes later, I was talking to these people. Like literally, they broke down the whole booth and I'm talking to people. (laughs) And by the time he's like, dude, I don't have any pain in my neck. And God healed him. And God wants to do that today. Because he's a miracle working God that loves you. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about you other than the fact that God loves us and he wants to move in our lives and he honors faith. And I I have the faith to believe that God is going to move today. So if you need God to work in your life, I want you to stand. We had hands go up and then now no one's wanting to stand up. Let's, Let's stand. All right. There's one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten people. I believe I'm gonna rephrase that. There's ten miracles that's about to happen. And this is what I love. So everyone who's standing, I want everyone who's sitting looking around. I know this is weird. This is not like any church service. Like well, I I I prayed about it last night, and this is what I felt like the Lord told me to do. I'm, I, this is why I want the church to do now. If you are sitting, and the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in all of us. And if you are sitting, I want you to look around. And I want you to walk up. I want you to walk up to someone who's standing and ask them, where do you need God to move? I don't want you to do pray a general prayer. I want you to ask them specifically. And then I want you to pray specifically for them. I know, like, well, this just got awkward. I know, but it's worth it if God shows up. It takes faith. And I want I want us to see that it's not it's not just me. It's all of us. It's all of us. So Guys, if you're sitting, take note, and I need you, I need you. Like, I don't want you to step and pray for someone if you don't believe God's gonna move. I want you just to to chill, or maybe, you know, stay stand and worship, whatever. If, if you go to pray for someone, I want you to believe that God is going to do it. He is. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and, and God loves to reward his children. So let's, the rest of us, let's stand up and as the Lord leads, let's walk up to people who are already standing and let's ask them, How can I pray with you? What is your need?
1: You reign above it all, you reign above it all You reign above it all Yes, You reign above it all You sent You sent the darkness running Out of an empty grave Now seated alone in glory Enthroned on the highest faith Sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. And you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, seated. I no. Oh.
0: every time I pray for someone, I always ask, do you feel better? Like, is there a noticeable difference? So, of those who raised their hand, some of you guys raised your hand, not for a physical need, but you just need God to move in a situation. But but of those who raised your hand that said, God, I, I need you to interact with my body. I want you, do you, do you feel physically better in, in your physical body, I, w- I want to know. Just raise your hand. Say, "I feel physically better." There's one. Who else? Two. Who else? Raise three. Who else? Come on, just raise your hand. Let's give all God all the glory, because He's going to finish what He starts. Yeah, He's going to finish what He starts. I want you to understand this: God will finish what He starts. Like, it's so interesting how God works. Like, we want a miracle here and now. And he'll start it right now, but it might manifest in two days. I don't know. I don't understand. God is God. I'm not. But I can tell you this. In the times that I've prayed with people, sometimes God has healed people instantaneously. Other times God has healed them in a week. One of the ladies I prayed with uh, for her hearing, like, her hearing was the same when she left here. But a week later, she said, "Wait, all the ringing is gone in my head." And then she went to the doctor, and her her hearing was like eighty percent better. It was almost back to normal, and it was just like it was a gradual thing. It, it, it was, but it was still God. Another, another another person, Emily Tosh, we prayed for. She had migraines for two weeks straight, and and I prayed and I said, "Do you feel any difference?" She's like, "Well, I." No, But like five days later, she's like, hey, I haven't had a migraine. And then a week later, she's like, I haven't had a migraine. Two weeks later, I haven't had a migraine. I'm telling you, stand on it, take it to the bank. God finishes what he starts. And he started something in you. And he will finish it because he is a God that loves to interact with his kids. He is a God that loves to say yes. And we can stand on the truth of God. We can stand on the truth of God's word. And we can, we can take it to the bank that he will confirm the gospel with signs and wonders and miracles. We don't chase that. I'm, I, I'm not saying we chase it. We don't chase signs, wonders, and miracles. We chase Jesus. We fall in love with Jesus. And the overflow of a relationship with Jesus is signs and wonders and miracles. It just is. I'm gonna pray for you guys. And I, I love you guys, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce a blessing on you. And let's before we do any of this, let's just give God a big hand clap of praise because He is a good God. Jesus, we worship you. Yes, Lord, we thank you because you are good and you are faithful, you are more than enough, Lord. That you are Lord, that you exceed all expectations. Lord, your word says that you do abundantly and above anything we ask, seek, or imagine according to the powers that work within us. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are at work within us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are enough, that you are more than enough, that you show up, that you show out, that you love us. Lord, we praise your name, God. We praise your name, God, because you are worthy of it all. You, are, you reign above all other names. Jesus, you are greater. You are greater than all affliction. You are greater than all infirmity. You are greater than every false narrative the enemy throws at us, and we stand on your truth. Lord, we thank you that your truth sets us free. Lord, it sets us free from the power of sin and death. It sets us free from affliction. Lord, you went to a beating post to heal our body. Lord, you give us peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we thank you, and we worship you. Now, Father, I pray over your church that you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Turn your countenance towards them and may they have peace as they walk out of this building to be the church of the living God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.